this week. The final top two haunted places in Hamilton. And then I'm opening up about my strange obsession with the dreaded Ouija board. Okay, it's finally done, everyone. If you didn't like these segments, then you're probably very happy that this is occurring. This is the final two most haunted places in the city of Hamilton. And uh, being my own home city, I was very excited to convey these stories to you and sharing my own personal kind of behind-the-scenes experiences at these places. And this is part of that as well. Now, number two... I'm not as directly connected, but definitely number one. Again, if you knew me, you knew what number one was even before you read the list. So number two is the Battlefield House in St. Catharines. And number one, of course, is the Custom House. My personal connection to that beautiful building, that very haunted building. And I've loved everything I've done in that place. But we're not going to start with that one. I'm going to work my way into it. That's what uh, in the industry we call a teaser. I've, I've, uh, I've teased you. So, <laughs> Number two on the list, Battlefield Park in Stony Creek. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Stony Creek, that's not the name Hamilton. Well, if you don't know, Stony Creek is one of the original loyalist towns that would eventually amalgamate into the city of Hamilton. So basically, Stony Creek is part of Hamilton. And if you go to the website, go to ghostwalks.com and scroll down, you click on the top 10 most haunted places in Hamilton, you can have a look at the picture that I posted with this. It's a historic picture. And you might think, oh, is this when the family lived there? No. There's the cenotaph behind it, which I believe was built in the early 1900s. still there today. Beautiful battlement tower that stands behind the house. But the house itself is extremely historic. I mean, compared to the Canadian standard of how old buildings can get because of how our our country is a young little baby country, this one's quite old. This was built by a woman who was forced to be a loyalist, Mary Jones Gage. And I say she was forced because her husband was killed fighting for the Americans during the revolution. So they were on the opposite side. And the only way she could have her family survive is she became a loyalist. They were offering free land for anybody who would swear their allegiance to the British crown. Mary was one of those, so she did. And she moved her her and her kids up to the area that would eventually become Stony Creek. So they gave her the land where Battlefield is today. And they lived there. Now, I always like to think of it this way. And when I'm doing the bus tour uh, in the past, and anytime I could ever mention Battlefield, this always stuck with me. Just just try and put yourself in the shoes of Mary Jones Gage. Just do it for a second. Just visualize that you are Mary Jones Gage. I've done this many times as Mary. And I, I think, okay, I've my husband was murdered, well, was killed in the revolution. I am forced to side with the people who killed him so that my family can survive. She comes over into this foreign land, the people that she just considered enemies, not even a year before. And she comes up, she has to, she has her house built, 
and she's just living her life. And at this point, you think she would just be able to settle down and relax. And it's like, okay, I've had all the bad karma I'm ever going to have in my life. Now I can just enjoy it. And then 1812 comes around. Imagine having that swift kick to the nuts that you're you're happy, you're calm, you're enjoying your life. And then another war starts up. And guess who is coming to get you? The people you were once associated with. Now, I don't know if they knew who Mary Gage was when they arrived. Because she wasn't killed when the Americans took the town. But, I mean, if they did know, I think they would be very angry. Because they didn't look kindly on what they would consider a traitor. So her family was taken prisoner and placed in the basement of the house during the time that led up to the Battle of Stony Creek. So just imagine that life. The worst, the worst possible situation. So it it always stuck with me. So I can understand that Mary Jones Gage would be a very eccentric person in life, but to be eccentric after death, I mean, to have that kind of energy would make complete sense. And it is said that Mary is the one who haunts the house on Battlefield, which was originally her house. Now, I'm going to push aside any ghost stories that have to do with the lands. I mean, uh, you have a battle there where, you know, hundreds of people died. You're going to have a certain energy that surrounds the place with, you know, the mass graves that were created as part of Smith's Knoll across the street. But to have the house there, to kind of have this family energy, the tragedy that occurred around it, you know, is almost like a hub for this energy. So Mary is said to be there and is said to haunt it. Now, a couple experiences have happened with her inside the house. The workers tend to have difficulty with the electronics and they attribute it to Mary. Uh, And a personal experience happened to one of our former ghost guides. Uh, He used to tell this story on every single one of his tours. It became kind of a, I guess you would call it a meme today, but uh, he always did a wonderful job because it's so personal to him. But it all started with a couple of his friends and a uh, video camera, this is going back a few years, taping the back door of the house and seeing the image of a woman slowly appear in one of the window panes of that back door they saw her face and at the same time poor james the guide he's in the field uh, having his wallet float out of his pocket so the energy that happened in that moment is like a you could think of it a flare of energy it flared up in that one moment and the two things happened simultaneously so very eccentric spirit uh, known for haunting the house itself, but not really known much for the grounds. So what happened to James was kind of an anomaly. But definitely Battlefield House, it's open as a museum, so you can go visit it, is definitely warrants a number two, if not just for the fact that a violent battle occurred on the soil where you know we only had one war, technically, to ever occur in our country. That's very unique. And then we got number one. I hope uh, that was a bit of a dramatic lead up for you guys. I hope you enjoyed that. 
but the number one location is near and dear to my own very my own heart and this is the custom house if you haven't seen this building definitely go have a look i mean this building was built to impress and out of all the uh, original custom house that still exists in ontario i know there's one in kingston that's similar this was the most beautiful uh, hamilton was given the most beautiful and there's a reason for that uh, we were quite prominent back in those days let's go have a look at it go have a look at the picture even if you're just on the article you can see it there the work that went into it it's stunning now we did ghost tours in here we did ghost hunts and if you're asking yourself if you don't know the history and you're saying why aren't we there anymore it's mostly uh it was a completely their decision not not nothing to do with us we we loved that place we would continue on forever if we could but the museum who runs the place the workers arts and heritage center decided it wasn't really cohesive with them anymore and i can understand because the ghost tours do end up getting popular and at a location like this where everything's kind of perfect for it i can see how people would start coming in they wouldn't care about the history that's being presented and they would only want to know about the ghosts so i completely understand why they did it i don't agree with it I, I i you know i mean there's other ways to go to cut it down to make it you know a little less prominent to feature the history that they want to feature a little bit more but what can you do this is the world of ghosts it's not always the most respected way to approach things but i digress so very haunted building the ghost walks themselves over the years i mean i could almost guarantee that things would happen to people when we were going in there to do any type of event i have a rolodex of interesting stories of occurrences that happened to the guides as well uh, occurrences that happened to the people who visited there it, it is just an energetic spot and I think one of the main reasons why it comes from its history, it was many things over the years. So stuff that happened as moving doors have been witnessed, as shadows have been appearing that shouldn't be there, uh, phone calls, like it would affect the phones that would come from the person's empty house, uh, knocks on the wall when they knew there was nobody on the other side who could have knocked, and even possessions. I mean, just tons of stuff but i mean I, I i can't explain all of it in the sense that you know it's just it, it would take too long and uh you know these stories are just out there you wouldn't expect it from a place that is located in canada so i will focus my efforts here i'm not going to get too deep into either of them but the two most energetic spots inside the custom house have to be the basement and the attic and it's exactly what you would expect in a haunted place i mean those are the two spots now the basement is just looks haunted it's like this dungeon looking place not the there's a modern area by the washrooms where they've used drywall it's not the same but you walk through another door and it takes you into this more dungeon area there's a a room that's known as the vault and then the room with the original basement stairs it's very creepy looking and the spirit of the dark lady, supposedly her body is down there, the spirit of a young boy, the spirit of another woman who's said to have been murdered in the basement stairs room, all haunting that space. 
the spirit of another woman who was supposedly by accident or or murdered air quotes uh that happened with the dumb waiter which is now the elevator so much energy in that space and then the attic is only one spirit but this is a very powerful spirit we we call him the caretaker we have no idea who he was and he's up in the attic because back in the time before you had security systems you had to have a caretaker in the building at night to kind of watch over the space and he lived in the attic so he had a small apartment up there uh technically the area where the apartment was still exists and even the room where the shower and bathroom were still exists even though the toilet and the um piping has been taken out but you can tell how he would have lived and the energy that surrounds the area tends to prove that now i don't know if i told this story on the podcast before forgive me if i have but there was a time that uh, this place kind of freaked me out now there's many times where i've had experiences this one really freaked me out because it was at the beginning of my tenure inside of it so I wasn't fully versed on what to expect. And at the beginning, when we were first doing the tours, uh, it wasn't really looked that respectfully on. We didn't get a lot of people. And so I can understand, like, you know, if we had a night where there was 10 or 15 people, we'd be so impressed. Uh, towards the end, we'd have nights where it was like, you know, 100 to 200 multiple tours. But towards the beginning, it was very sparse. But there was one night that there was quite a few people coming. I was just so amazed. It was like 16 or 17. I'm like, wow, 16 or 17 people. I got to make sure it's perfect for them. That's That was my mindset back then. So we showed up and I was the one who went up to the door to the knock and nobody would answer. And I heard talking from behind the door. It was as plain as day. I thought nothing of it. I even put my ear up against the door to try and hear. It was two women but the talking was so muffled, I couldn't make out what they were saying. So I listened for a bit more and it just kept going. So I knocked harder because for some reason, my mind told me that they were playing a joke on me. It's amazing what you think when you're having a paranormal experience. It's like anything natural, no matter how weird it is, is what's going to pop into your head as long as it's natural. So I kept telling myself, okay, yeah, they're um, totally punking me right now, like Ashton Kutcher or something. And I start banging on that door. I was like, guys, let me in. Because <laughs> like, I got 17 people coming. I had to make sure it was perfect for them. And, you know, it meant the business. So uh, the, the the talking stopped. And at the almost the exact same time, I saw movement from the corner of my eye and I look over and who's walking up. Uh, his name is Brian. He was one of the workers at the time and he's looking at me like he saw me banging on the door. He's looking at me like I'm a psychopath. And when he comes up, he doesn't say anything. He just keeps looking at me with that. What's going on with you kind of look. And he unlocked the door, goes inside. He turns off the security alarm, which by the way, included sensors so if there was movement, they would have gone off. And he turns them off and lets us in. I didn't really say anything to him about hearing the voices. I just let him think I was a psychopath because I think if I told him I was hearing voices, he would you know, be sure that I was a psychopath. And I walk inside. I looked everywhere that entire night. I was looking everywhere for anything at all 
that could have caused those voices that I heard and nothing, nothing, no recorders, no televisions that could have been playing nothing. It was just like, that's it. Just the voices. So that always stuck in my head as I would go set up at the events and walks later on and the hunts, you know, would I hear those voices again? But, uh, that was the only time other experiences, but that was the only time that specifically occurred. Anyway, that's it, everyone. That is the top 10 list of the most haunted places to visit in Hamilton. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my little breakdown of it. I'm going to do something similar with a Niagara list that I just put up on the website. But if you want to read any of these, just go to ghostwalks.com. There's tons of articles on there. You can just scroll down about halfway on the main page, and that links to all the articles, the podcast, everything. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I love me some Ouija board. That is probably the worst way to convey it, but I do love this device. And you might be thinking right now, what the hell is wrong with you, Daniel? How could you be a fan of something that is considered evil and, you know, of the devil or however you believe? But note, I've had a ton of experience with this device. And I call it a device for a reason. It is not something that is of the devil. It is a divination tool. Now, a lot of people have lost this over the years. But the Ouija board derives from what is known as automatic writing. So basically, uh, the psychics can still do it today if they have a paper in front of them. They hold a pen and they go into a trance. And then, as I said, the energies of the spirits will move their hands over the paper and it will draw things. It will write words out. It will it will do this just as a way of communication. So it starts out as automatic writing. And then uh, some very smart spiritualists come along and they're like, wait a minute. This is very inefficient. If it's just one psychic, you need a psychic to do it. You know, what if we wanted to have this communication for many people and for regular people? And they created the first talking board. So the talking board originally wasn't a board. It was just it was just the pendulum, which is the heart shaped pointing device on the board. And then you would put a pencil or pen in the top at the point, And then it would actually move around a piece of paper and write stuff out. But then they're even like, oh, that's not even efficient enough for me. This is going a thousands, thousands of years in the past. I believe it started out in China. And they're like, that's not even official, uh, efficient enough for me. So then they created that board. The talking board has the letters on it, has the numbers on it, has yes, no, goodbye. That's all you need. So then the pendulum went from being a writing device to just a pointing device. So the pendulum could go around the board, point at the letters and numbers, spell out sentences, give you numbers, say yes and no. And of course, the most important thing is to say goodbye. So that's kind of a breakdown of a very quick breakdown of the history of the board. So you can see it's not of the devil. It actually has some amazingly strong history. So why is it considered so evil? And for this, I blame the movie The Exorcist. Seriously. I mean, you're probably thinking, wait a minute. No, no. I mean, there was like 
axes flying at people's heads. This is real. And I say no. I say it was just that movie. Because this is a forgotten scene. So you forget that that's what was implanted in your mind. Maybe passed down by parent to child. It's like, oh, never play with the Ouija board. It will kill you. But it started with that movie, The Exorcist, in the 1970s. Because there's a scene in it where Reagan is using the Ouija board. She contacts the demon that would eventually possess her. And the demon came through as this uh, cute little guy named Captain Howdy and talked to her. And then it is said that is the demon, the board opened the door for the demon to come in. And then they're also saying that the exorcist was based on um, a true story. But the Ouija board being part of the true story is still left up for debate. I don't know if the Ouija board had anything to do with the real story, which was a a boy in Georgetown, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. So this legendary status around the board, I believe, comes from that horror movie and then just kind of became legend over the years. And it it took away from its true use as a communication tool with spirits because divination is not that efficient. It's like that original automatic writing where only one person could do it. Uh, For example, the pendulum or divining rods. So then the talking board comes along and then multiple people can now do it, combine all their energies, and you don't need to be psychic to get some really good answers. And that's how I see the board. And over the years, I've used it many, many times in many, many events. I still have it open. Uh, There's only one ghost hunt currently. It's at the Cambridge Post Office. If you guys are interested in that, that comes back in September. And I still use it there in secret, of course, because people, they fear it. But um, how I got into respecting it really has nothing to do with those events. So that it, it was actually kind of a fluke because I was just like most of those people. I was raised in a very Christian household the Ouija board was considered evil. You did not use it. So I had to do it in secret. I was like the kids from Footloose, but that was with dancing. This was with contacting the dead. So it's very similar. Uh, so it was me and my my uh, girlfriend at the time. And we get a Ouija board from a garage sale. I think we paid like 25 cents for it. That would be a great deal today. And I brought it back to my house. I didn't tell my parents. So my, if my mom's listening right now, sorry. But I brought it back to the house and we, we wanted to use it, right? So we set it up. We're sitting on the floor of a room. The door is closed. And we set up a little knowledge that we had how to use it. And I remember we had our hands on the pendulum and we were relaxed. And I asked, oh, spirit, are you here? Or is there any spirits that want to communicate? And it slowly moves up to yes. And then I'm like, oh, what is your name? And it slowly moves to a letter and slowly moves to another. And it just, it was painfully slow. That's the story of my life. Painfully slow planchet movements. And it started there. This is, I was in my early 20s at the time. So it started there. So we gave up, but... It was more in a boredom stance because we didn't take our hands off the pendulum. We just started talking back and forth. And I remember, I think I made a joke 
and um, she laughed. And as she was laughing, we were kind of like joking back and forth. The planches started moving again. I swear to God, we didn't ask the board anything and the planche was moving. And the reason it caught our attention is because it was moving quite quickly. And I hadn't been used to that feeling up to that point because I was used to it being extremely slow. And it's moving across the board. It's like spelling something out. And thankfully, I looked over because I caught the beginning. And it spelled out uh, U-R. And then it spelled out the words a happy couple. So you are as your, obviously you're a happy couple. And I just, I, I was floored because once it was done with that uh, simple sentence, the planches stopped and didn't move anymore. So we said goodbye. Of course, it moves down to goodbye. It does that. But that point I was, I was absolutely hooked. Now I, I have a, a curse upon me. When it comes to the Ouija board, I'm not talking about a curse like a horror movie curse. I'm talking about a curse like it sucks curse that if I touch that planchet, it's going to move slow or it's not going to move at all. Hence why if you've ever been to one of my events and you've seen me host a Ouija board session, you would note that I never actually get involved with it. I will always try and bring somebody up from the crowd I will never actually put my hands in the planchet. And the reason is I just, I don't have the energy for it. Or there's some kind of block with me that it's not going to come through. So I usually leave it alone. It's not out of fear. I've done it many, many times. But I just know myself that it doesn't work very well. So I'm happy. In fact, I'm ecstatic to stand back and watch other people use the board, not for fear, but for complete interest. And over the years, because of that, I've been able to guide sessions that have turned out extremely lucrative in the energy that they brought forth, and most importantly, the information they brought forth. And this is the main reason why I've been hooked on this dreaded divination tool ever since. Okay, everybody, I am in the throes of a very busy week. And I hope I can see some of you out to these. I have space tomorrow night for the Dark History Tour in Hamilton. That is Thursday, July the 7th at 7 p.m. And some of my favorite stories to tell, we're talking about executions. We're talking about murderers. We're talking about the mafia. This is some of my favorite subjects because I'm sick in the head. And I invite you, if you are also sick in the head, to come out and enjoy them with me. I'll be doing the Dark Trolley on Friday. That one's almost sold out, but we got other ones coming up if you're interested. And finally, the Downtown Hamilton Ghost Walk on Saturday uh, if you're interested. So if you're able on any of the nights, love to have you there. Let me know that you heard it through the podcast. I'm always interested to meet some fans. You can book them all at ghostwalks.com. But that's it for the shameless plug, and that is also it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.